When I was a kid, you might have heard this story before, when I was a kid, I went to recess one day and I fell off the monkey bars, right? It's a lot longer and funnier than it sounds, at least now. But uh, I had fallen off and I had got whiplash and had to spend the night in the hospital and the doctors noticed later that I had began to stutter when I speak. They said I, I damaged the part of my brain that helps me speak and so they sent me to speech therapy. I wasn't very old. I don't remember a whole lot about it, to be honest, except that if I did good, I got Legos. And so that was enough reason to, to, to go. But uh, speech therapy was a place to, uh, was a great place to help to make, make, a place to help make me stronger in areas that I was weak, learning techniques and, and drills and things that you could do to help, that I could do to help make me stronger. Many of you perhaps have been to physical therapy, right? A place where you're, when you're weak or you've had surgery or knee replacement or hip replacement or something like that, and when you're weak in an area, you go and the therapist helps you work it out and it helps you get stronger in that place, right? Now, now those are good and helpful things. I'm glad I had that opportunity to go, and perhaps you have too, that you've been able to go and do that. Now, we've been talking about prayer in the last few months, and many of us view prayer as just that way, as some type of therapy, right? As just a way to give us the extra kick we need, a way to prayer, it seems, would we, we think in our own thinking is to booster us. It's to make us stronger, right? It's to help us out in places that we're weak. But is, is, is that what the Bible says about it? That the Bible couldn't be more... Clear, we act as if prayers just help make us stronger, maybe to talk out loud to someone who will listen. But the Bible is clear about the point and the purpose of prayer in no place more so perhaps than in the book of James. Once you turn there, uh, James, if you don't have a Bible, there's one in front of you in the pew or it'll be up on the screen. James is towards the back of your Bible. It's just past Hebrews right before first and second peter it's right in there james is written by by the disciple james the brother of jesus the pastor of the church at jerusalem james really writes with a real pastoral heart he he cares about these people and his letter is immensely practical and we see how how practical james is when he talks about prayer at the end of his letter right james give it, gives it advice to the new Christians across the Roman Empire, right? To all who might read this and still good advice for us today. He he writes in James chapter 5, that's starting in the back, starting in verse 13. He says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months, and he prayed again. And the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. James urges them to pray, he says, to confess your sins. Those who are suffering, he says, should pray. Those who are sick 
should pray. The struggling in sin should pray. Because prayer, James says, changes things. It's fundamental belief of a Christian, not that prayer is just to help make us feel better about ourselves or to help us talk things out loud or to even make us stronger in areas that we're weak, but that prayer changes things. And he gives us the example of Elijah who prayed. Elijah is in the Old Testament. Elijah comes out of nowhere. We don't know much about him, but he shows up at the court of King Ahab in in 1 Kings and he shows up there and, and he says, by my word, because of your wickedness, it won't rain for three and a half years. And it doesn't. When Elijah prayed, things happened. And that, you see, is the point of prayer. For things to happen. For something to take place. This is made clear in Scripture over and over and over again. Prayer is not just meant to be therapeutic. It's not to make us feel better about ourselves. James here in this passage gives us the point and the plan of prayer. Prayer is to change things. It has power in it. My dad is a high school principal. He has been a long time. And one, and, he, and, he, and usually during the summer in junior high school, I'd work up at the school. I'd dig ditches or do whatever they had me to do, mow and whatnot. And one year I worked up there, and my job was to clean all the light fixtures. You pull the little tabs, and it drops down, and wipe it down, and change all of the bulbs. There was six or 700 of them in the school, Right? three stories, and so by the time you do that all day, you go on and on and on. You just forget about what you're doing. You're, you're doing it mindlessly, or I was at least, which doesn't take much for me. And uh, I climbed up on a ladder, and you have the big fluorescent bulbs, and I was changing it. It's got to slip up in these notches and twist, and I got one end and couldn't get the other, and I'd been doing it all day and wasn't thinking about it, and I had this end in, and I reached down to, to, to this end, and I touched the prongs on the bulb while this end was plugged in. And so it shocked me, and I fell off the ladder, right? And so uh, that's why they have high school students do it, I guess. They heal more quickly, right? But so there was power in that, what I was doing, and those lights I was messing with, but I'd done it so much I'd forgot about it. It just became something routine, something I had done over and over and over again, hundreds and hundreds of times I dropped it down and wiped it clean and checked the bulbs and all that, and I'd done it over and over and over again from the first floor to the second floor and to the third floor, and then I forgot about the power that was there, right? I forgot about the power that was coming through there until it shocked me, and I fell off the ladder, and then I remember, right? There is power in prayer. There is power in prayer more so than current coursing through lights, but we don't treat prayer as the power that it is. It becomes boring and routine, and it becomes something that we do out of, out of that, out, out of routine, or something that we say without meaning it. There is power in prayer, and the purpose of prayer is not to be inert, and not just to be words spoken out loud, and not even just like we said to make us stronger in areas that we're weak, by, but that there is power in prayer itself, and that prayer does things. This is the purpose of prayer. Think about the number of times that we tell someone, well, I'll pray for you. And then we walk off and never think about it again. If we really believed, and I'm as guilty of this as anyone, if we really believed in the power of prayer, then when we would say that, we would mean it, and we would stop even right then and do it. We use, I'll pray for you, as a way to end a conversation with somebody we can't get away from. They're going on and on and on. and All right, well, I'll pray for you. 
right? I hate to let you go, but I'm going to pray for you, okay? And, and we use it as a get-out-of-a-conversation card when we don't know what to say, but there's power in prayer, and that's the purpose of it. If you flip through the Bible, if you look through and look at what prayer does in the Bible, prayer part sees, and it brings the dead to life, and it calms storms, and it abates the wrath of God, and it brings down fire from heaven, and it feeds thousands, and on, and on, and on, and on, and on. Prayer does things. Prayer changes things. What prayer changes most often is us. What it should change most often is us. Prayer changes hearts, changes minds, helps heal relationships, and brings people to Christ. When's the last time your prayer did any of that? When's the last time any of our prayers did any of that? And we're tempted to grab our Bibles and just write it off. Well, that's just the Old Testament. That was just Moses. And that was just Abraham. Or that was Jesus. Or that was Paul. And that was them. But that's not the indication that the Bible gives that it's just for them and not for us. But that prayer is to do things. It is for a purpose. And it is to have power. And too often our prayers are just empty words. Just meaningless, vain repetition. Foolish Chance made to make us feel better about ourselves and about our circumstances. Our prayer is impotent and is lacking in power. And the people came to Jesus because they knew that He could do something. They didn't come to Jesus because they hoped, right? They didn't come to Jesus because they believed, but because they saw and because they knew that He could do something. The same Jesus that resides in us. The same Jesus that we ask to come and live in our hearts that you and me as Christians, when was the last time that someone asked you to pray because they knew your prayer did something? Because they knew your prayer was, as James says, powerful and effective. People can get a sympathetic shoulder anywhere. They can pay someone to go and listen to them. And that's helpful sometimes. But in only one place does the fullness of the Godhead dwell in bodily form. And in Jesus, and only... One place is the wisdom of God made manifest in the church. And this is the point of prayer, James says in verse 16. The effectual, fervent prayer, it says in some versions, of a righteous man accomplished as much. It doesn't make you feel better and it doesn't lift your spirits and it doesn't help you rest your head at night. It's not like counting sheep when you go to sleep at night. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man accomplished as much. It it does things, not even just a little thing, accomplishes much. It does things. This is what prayer does. This is the point of prayer. If yours doesn't, then we're not doing it how the Bible says. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. It accomplishes God's plan, not ours. Not to give us all of our wants and desires, but to do God's work and God's way and God's time. It might change you. It will change you. I, I find that by praying for my enemies, my heart softens, right? You might think pastors don't have enemies, but you're wrong, right? By people that hurt us, by people that are against us, and when I see them, I stop and I pray for them. My heart just softens. You can't pray for someone and maintain a hard heart against them. You can't do it. You might be able to chant words, but you cannot lift someone up in prayer to the God of the universe and maintain a hard heart against them. You cannot do it. It Even just internally in our heart, that prayer, when we pray, it changes us. It, it does things. That is the point of prayer. 
the point of prayer is to do things. What's the plan of prayer? What is God's plan for prayer? How is it to happen? James is clear about that too, right? He says, He says, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another, that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can't accomplish much. James says that the plan for prayer is us. James says that the plan for prayer is for you and me, men and women, boys and girls, fathers and mothers, aunts and uncles, and grandfathers and grandmothers, and you and me, and new Christians and old Christians, and everyone in between, the plan for prayer is us. So does that mean when we pray that everything we say is going to come true? No. We know from Scripture that's not the case. We know from experience that's not the case. James says the prayers of a righteous man. That first of all, we are to be made righteous before God. You and I see are sinners and we have sinned. We have rebelled against a holy God and we are guilty. And the only way that we can be put in right standing, that we can be made righteous, is is through the is through the life of Jesus Christ and through His death on the cross and through His resurrection. We owe, him a, we owe a debt to God because of our sin, but because of Jesus, He paid it for, for us. Romans 5.19 says, Through the disobedience of one, many were made sinners, so through the death of many, so through the death of one, many were made righteous. We are to be saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. We come as baptism as a a picture of that. A person is, is taken and, 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 and what we say is that they were buried in Christ in baptism. That person is gone like dead and buried under water. That their old person, the old un, unrighteous self is taken and is buried and is gone away and is no more. And then a new person rises and walks. It says in Corinthians that if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. That the old is passed away, that the old has been buried, buried with Christ in baptism, we say, in race to walk, a newness of life. A baptism is a physical picture of a spiritual process of what happens in our hearts. And James says, the prayers of a righteous man are powerful and effective. There's only one way to be made righteous. It's not through going to church. It's not through doing good deeds. It's not through teaching Sunday school. It's not through preaching sermons. It's not through any of those things. It is only through the blood of Christ can we be made righteous. This is the plan for prayer, the prayer of a righteous person. Not a self-righteous person. Prayer doesn't work because you came to church today. But we sure act that way, don't we? When we pray, Lord, I went to church today. Lord, I went to church this week. I helped that person do this for me. Help me out. Prayer becomes a way of getting our reward from God for doing the right thing. Or sometimes we come and we ask for an advance in our allowance, don't we? God, if you help me do this, I promise you I'll get back in church. I promise you I'll start reading my Bible more. I promise you I'll start doing this or I'll doing that. But James says it clear, clearly. The plan of prayer is, is of a righteous person, made holy by God through Jesus, not through their own acts, and not through what they've done, and not because they deserve something. James says we're saved by, Paul says we're saved by grace through faith, and that faith isn't even of ourselves. It's not from us, so that you can't even boast about that. It's not from you either. Let's note God's plan is, is prayer. Your prayer and my prayer to affect change. You see that all throughout Scripture, and it's amazing when you look at it. Like when we looked at Moses, 
Do you remember that if you were here, that God was angry with the Israelites and He and He was going to destroy them? But what had happened? God sent someone to intercede. God sent Moses to pray for them, and Moses did, and the wrath of God was abated. The wrath of God was lifted because that was God's plan for prayer. This is not, prayer is not a fallback for us, right? Or something to do when we think that God is messed up. Ezekiel says that God sought for a man to stand in the gap. Sought for a man to stand in the gap, literally between God and man. It talks about in Joel, and we talked about this Wednesday night, about laying between the porch and the altar, right? The porch was where the, the nation of Israel would come into the temple. It's where anyone could come and stand, and the altar was where they would make sacrifices, and the priests were there, but between the porch and the altar, making sacrifices to God on behalf of the people. Now, there's one mediator between God and man, Christ Jesus, and God's plan still is for us to come and pray to, uh, to intercede on people's behalf and for the things to happen. God's plan is for prayer. We look for other ways to do things. We, we often exhaust all of our options. Prayer becomes a parachute that you carry and you hope you don't have to use it, but it's there if you do, right? We look for other ways, more efficient means when ways and habits and methods, but God's plan is for prayer for our prayer. Ian Bounds said, men seek better methods, but God seeks better men. Righteous men. Men who He has made righteous. Men and women made holy and righteous and justified and sanctified by the cross of Christ. And not a perfect person, because that's none of us, but one who is redeemed and one who is made righteous by God through Jesus. Look at verse 16 again. It says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Verse 17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, a, a passion like, like ours. It says in other versions, the King James, Elijah was a man subject to the same passions as us. He had the same nature. He had the same constitution, the same faculty and makeup like, like ours. He was subject to being tired. He was subject to being hurt by the remarks of others. He was subject to being frustrated with God. But what's it say? But he prayed. But he prayed. And he prayed. He was subject to all of these things. But what a legacy and what an epitaph for a tombstone to sum up the life of a man. I pray that by God's grace that those would be the words on my tombstone. It doesn't even need to say anything else, but it can say, but he prayed. But he prayed. Because the prayer of a righteous man, not a self-righteous man by what I've done, but bought and sanctified and justified by God, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And Elijah was just like you and me. He got angry and he got upset and he got tired and he got sick and he doubted God, we see in Kings. And, and, and he wondered what the plan of God was. And, and, and he sat by the brook and he was upset and all these things, but he prayed. But he prayed. Not his talent or his skills and it doesn't talk about anything that Elijah did but he prayed and it didn't rain for three and a half years the prayers shut the mouths of lions and they turned back armies and they changed the minds of kings and generals and don't you think that prayer can help you don't you think that prayer can help this church so pray so do something about it so pray we have no excuse 
Elijah was just like us. We can't say, oh, it's just an Old Testament thing or it's just a Bible thing or it's just you know, that person was a super Christian, right? Or he took his, his Bible vitamins every day, but he was a man just like us. He prayed. God's plan is prayer. God's plan is your prayer. God's plan is your prayer. He's waiting on you to pray. James talks about what kind of a man, a righteous man. And look at what kind of prayer he says. The effective prayer, he says. He says the effective prayer of a righteous man accomplished much. It says different translations say effective or fervent or passionate. This is not a quick one-off prayer, right? As you're driving around and it's hot and you're looking for a close parking spot, praying for you to get one, right? This is deep, gut-wrenching, soul-wrenching, wrestling in the night prayer, prayer that keeps you up at night, prayer that makes you sweat, that makes you forget about eating and drinking and sleeping. Jesus and the disciples and the prophets, we see in Scripture, they routinely find themselves in places where they don't have time for that kind of prayer. Daniel is an example. He prayed every day, and then one day he's thrown in the lion's den. What's he to do? Prayers in crisis are made strongest by our prayers in private, right? When you come upon that crisis in your life and it's going to come, and I'm not here to knock you down a peg or anything like that, but I'm here to tell you the truth and that crisis in your life comes and it's going to come. I stood yesterday on the porch of my home and prayed with a man who found out his wife has cancer and it's stage four and they don't know if she's going to make it. She's not going to make it. They don't know how long she has. When those crises comes, when prayer, when crisis comes in that times, those prayers and crisis are made strongest by our our prayers in private. That is, our private prayer life feeds our public prayer life. In those times, in tragedy, when a quick when a quick prayer is all that you have, right? It's made strongest by those prayers in private. It's gut-wrenching, soul-wrenching prayer in the opening book of first, in the opening pages of First Samuel. In the Old Testament, Hannah comes to the temple to pray. Hannah has is is married to Elkanah, and she 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 has no son. She has no children, and she comes and she begins to pray. She's prayed every year. She prays that she will dedicate her son to the Lord if she gets a if she gets a son, and she's praying there at the temple, and Eli, the priest, comes to her, and he says, well, don't you think it's, this is a paraphrase, he says, don't you think it's a little early in the morning to be drinking, right? She looks like she's drunk. She's praying so hard. She's praying so passionately and fervently and and gut-wrenchingly and crying to God because what she wants so bad is is a son, and she's praying for that. And Eli mistakes her for for being drunk. And, and she goes home and he blesses her and she goes home and is blessed with the son Samuel that she, she, she dedicates to the Lord. When was the last time you begged for God to move? That you got on your knees and you begged and you pleaded fervently with God to move? move. I'm not saying you have to, to be on your knees or you have to be in a certain place. Some of you, if you got on your knees... It would take prayer to get you up off your knees, right? But when was the last time you prayed like that? When was the last time you got down and prayed that you begged that you had to have God move? This is God's plan. 
I pray with urgency because I believe that He is powerful, but because I believe that He is able to move, because I believe that He is rich in compassion, that His loving kindness draws me to repentance. And because of that, I gladly pray to Him. Prayer changes things. That's God's promise. That's the point of prayer. This is an invitation from God for us to join in God's work. Can you believe that? An invitation from God to you and me. An invitation from God, the mighty God of the universe, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And He is omniscient and He is omnipresent and He is holy, holy, holy. And the whole earth is full of the gl- His glory. And heaven is His throne and earth is His footstool. And He sends out this invitation to you and me and says, I want you to join with me in this work. Why do we settle for vain, repetitious, empty prayers? Do you believe that God wants to use you? God's plan for prayer, the purpose of prayer is to change things. And God's plan for prayer is to use you. You who have been chosen, have been purchased with the blood of Christ. You have been sanctified and you have been justified if you will only believe in Him, if you only accept in faith with the simple faith of a child who will believe in what Christ has done for you, 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 to do justice and to walk humbly. That's what God requires of us and to join Him in this work. Don't settle for an empty and impotent prayer life. Let your, be, let your prayer be, as James describes, powerful and effective. Powerful and effective. That's what this church needs. That's what you need. That's what I need. That's what your family needs. That's what our community needs. That's what the principals at our school needs and the superintendent. That's what the teachers need. That's what the manager at Sooner needs. That's what the people in the apartments need. That is is what the people in stores downtown need. This is what everyone needs. A powerful God to move in their life. And it starts, God says, it starts in our hearts. A powerful and an effective prayer life starts with you on your knees confessing your sins. It's followed by daily fervent prayer, by prayer that by prayer that does things. I pray that, oh Lord, I pray that people would say that about our church. Those people, they're nothing special. It's just a random group of people, right? They might not have the most money in town, or they might not be the smartest people in town, or they might not be this, or they might not be that, but they pray. But they pray. And they believe that when we pray that things happen, not because of us, and not because of who we are, not because we have our act together, or because we know the right way to say it or to say abracadabra and make things happen, but because we pray to to a powerful, almighty God. This community needs you to pray for it, to beg for God to move in a way to beg for God to move on this church in a way. Even an average-sized church like ours can become so dependent on just sustaining, on just going, on just maintaining. There's a difference between maintenance and being on mission. And this is what God has called us to do, to be on mission for Him across the street and across the world. It starts in our hearts. It starts with confessing our sin to Him. And it continues with that daily fervent prayer. God's, the purpose of prayer is to do things. And God's plan for prayer is you. So won't you join a minute?
We have a time of response at the end of the sermon, and that's what that is, a time for you to respond to what God is saying in your heart. If you realize that your prayers have been meaningless and empty, that you would come forward and you would ask God and you would confess that sin to God, that they have just been vain repetitions from an empty place in our hearts, that you would confess that to God. If you know that you are not a righteous person, that you have never believed in God, that He sent Jesus, His Son, to die for your sins, and that you are a sinner, that you need Him to, to be Lord of your life, now's the time that you can confess that. You can come forward at a time of response, and I'd love to pray with you. You can bring someone with you if you'd like to pray. If you want to pray for this church, for this community, if there's someone that you want to beg for God to move in a way, beg for, for God to move and plead with Him and long for it to happen, this is what... This is what that time is. The prayer of a righteous man. The prayer of a righteous woman is powerful and effective. And not because of us, but because of our God. Won't you pray with me? Dear Father God, I, I believe that, Father. I believe, Lord, that our prayers to you, Father, accomplish much and not because of us, Father, but because of you. Because of you, Father, because what you have done Lord, because you have all the power and all the might, Father. Lord, I pray that my prayers would not be vain repetitions, that they would not be empty and meaningless, Father, but that they would do things, that they would accomplish work, Father. Your work, Father, not my ideas and not my plans and not my schemes, Father. Those are trash. They're meaningless, Father. They're empty, worthless things and throw them out, Father. But your plan for this church and your plan for this community and your plan for my heart. Lord, let your will will be done. Oh Lord, I pray. Oh Lord, I pray that we would be known as a people of prayer. First Baptist Church in Tishomingo, that they would know in our community and in our state and even across the world, Father, that it may be said of us, but they prayed. But they prayed. Lord, ignite in us a desire for prayer. Light a fire that can never go out, Father, that burns eternally. Lord, your word is a consuming fire. Consume us in it, Father. Consume us with a desire for prayer to lift things up from prayer. Lord, show us how we can do that as we go out in this place, Lord. We love you, Father God. We know that you have done great things, Lord. We pray these things in your name.